You're listening to the Pursue God Truth Podcast, the official channel for faith and life topics at PursueGod.org. Join us every week as we explore new topics from a biblical perspective. Well, hey everyone, my name's Eric. I'm in the studio with Ross, and we are continuing our series in the book of Mark. We're going through it section by section. We've made it to chapter 2. Last week we got into chapter 2, and we're seeing... Uh, Jesus now in his ministry is being opposed by these guys called the Pharisees. This is the first time after uh, we started that we meet this this group of people. We're going to talk about them um, today a little bit, but we're really going to try to draw out the two different kinds of people in the Bible and and even in society in in a way right there's 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 really two kinds of people Ross it, generally speaking there are good people and bad people right that's how most people would frame it for sure in society today I mean you think about people talk about their buddy or somebody they know working and man he's a good guy he's a good dude or 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 thinking man man that guy's bad so I mean that's how people frame it right what what's interesting. You know, these Pharisees that you mentioned, Eric, they had their perspective on who was good and who was bad. And we have our perspective today in American society about who's good and who's bad. I mean, you, what are the traits that make us say, oh, that, he's a good guy or that's a, that's a good person? You know, maybe, maybe they serve in the community at the soup kitchen or maybe their kids are well-mannered and behaved or, or maybe they've been successful at work. Um, you know, or maybe they're, they, they haven't ever gotten trouble with the law or something like that. We have these, these ideas about, about who, what constitutes a good person. And we have ideas about what constitutes a bad person, too. I mean, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think our society would, would generally say that bad people are easy to, to point out, right? They've made bad decisions. They're, they're, they're outright evil. I mean, people who uh, are adulterous or murderers or, you know, serial killers or uh, people who start wars and, and lead people um, into all kinds of depravity. Uh, there are people who are drug addicts, um, yeah. people who don't take care of their families. I mean, mm, our yeah. society would say that these people are bad people. We have this this measuring stick by what's good and what's bad. And I think for the 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 point today is we really want to get outside of our understanding or our ability to feel our way towards what's good and bad and and who who are good and bad people and really look at um how Jesus reacts and interacts with both types of people. Uh, in the Bible. So we're in this story today. We're starting in uh, Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. And right off the bat, you know, after Jesus had had his interaction with the Pharisees, after um, healing the man um, whom his friends, you know, lowered down through the roof, um, a guy who was, was uh, unable to walk, um, Jesus is continuing on in his ministry, and he's, he's walking around and, and preaching in, in Israel. Uh, I think still in Capernaum would still be the setting for this. Mm-hmm. And he 
walks by this guy called Levi. Let's look at these verses in verses 13 and 14. It says, Then Jesus went out to the lake shore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. So this guy's a tax collector. <laughs> what, what does that mean? What's, what's a, a tax collector in the Bible? We know about the IRS. Everybody's familiar with, with the uh, having to pay taxes. Many people say there's two things that are certain in life, death and taxes. Uh, so is, is this guy a guy like one of our friends that works at the IRS? <laughs> or, or what's the difference? What, who, tell us what a biblical tax collector is. Yeah, I'm sure that some people feel about the IRS the way that the, the Jewish culture felt about guys like Levi, uh, who, by the way, is also known as Matthew, um, so the, the way it worked was the, the Roman Empire was in charge, and they um, subcontracted the tax collecting business to independent contractors. Okay, so they, don't, they didn't have an IRS. They didn't have a, a government superstructure, but they subcontracted it out uh, to collect commercial taxes. So, so Levi's sitting there in the center of town by the marketplace where he's, he's collecting you know, taxes for people who are transporting goods or selling goods is like sales tax and other things. So that's why he's there in the heart of town in the marketplace. Um, but this was pretty scandalous on Jesus' part because um, the, these tax collectors, um, you know, they were, they had a few strikes against them. You know, number one is um, they were hated for in, in Israel for a number of reasons. Number one, they were in this business partnership with Rome. And so Rome was these hated, resented, Gentile conquerors. They're impure, unclean. And these are local Jewish people who said, yeah, I'm going to make money off of, that, off of a relationship with our hated um, oppressors. And so that partnership pushed them to the very fringe of religious life. Tax collectors are not the guys you'd meet in the synagogue. Um, they're still Jewish, but they're very much outsiders in Jewish society because their partnership with Rome. And then the second reason they were hated is because many of them, probably typically, they used all kinds of shady and violent tactics to collect for Rome. So they're subcontractors. So Rome says, look, here's how much you owe us. If you collect more than that, it goes in your own pocket. And so that's a, a huge incentive for these guys to cheat and steal from people and, and, and use violent means of manipulation and intimidation to get more money out of people. So they're making wealth um, through basically through extortion in a lot of, in a lot of ways. So they were, they were running a racket really. And so we don't really know about Levi personally. We don't know how uh, benign or how, whether he's one of the worst or one of the minor players or whatever, but he was in this profession that had uh, just a, a terrible reputation. People hated these guys for, for, those, for those basic reasons. Yeah, he's like the, the ultimate sellout, you know? Yeah. If you can think about, you know, someone in your life that was, was on your team but decided to do something shady to jump to the other side, basically. That's, that's what he's doing. I heard something interesting about why 
Mark's calling him Levi um, when we know him as Matthew, actually, mm-hmm. who wrote the the first the first gospel in order in the in the New Testament. I'm not saying it's the the first written. But if you open your book, uh, open your Bible to the New Testament, Matthew uh, writes the the first gospel there. But his other name was Levi, and in order for him to have that name, I think scholars and many people would believe that he was actually from the tribe of Levi. And so Mm -hmm. what an ultimate dishonor for him to... um, basically sell out his his nation his people when his tribe was known as the tribe of priests the one who's supposed to take care of the nation of israel and this guy is making money making money off of his own people through shady practices it's also believed that these tax collectors would have been then hanging out with like almost like they're almost like a, a, a a a mob enforcer not quite the mafia boss but yeah an enforcer in a way and if you think about what kind of positions and people that would put him around he was probably hanging around with all kinds of different uh other sinners as a matter of fact in the bible when they talk about tax collectors it's always like it's always like they're coupled with tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes you know and so they were looked at as kind of the worst of the worst. Um, yeah. And so, so I guess the question for us, as we, you know, talked about in our open, um, what, what, what kind of people nowadays would we equate with this tax collector? I've already talked about maybe a, a mob enforcer, but what other kinds of people I would, would apply to this day and age of people that we would, we would really just have this scorn for. Yeah, so definitely he's he's in the bad category for sure. Um, I think, uh, you know, the kind of, the way they made money and stuff like that, we might think about people who are scammers, like these people who are scamming elderly people, mm, you know, and, mm-hmm. um, you know, running running these games on, on people to get their money, uh, cheating to do so. Um, we don't, we don't know. So we don't know whether some of these tax collectors were using their power and their wealth, um, basically for what you might call immoral purposes or whatever. We don't know what else was going on, but they're certainly living a lifestyle that suggests they were cheating others, scamming. And, um, so like Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19, he says, look, I'm going to, if I've cheated anybody and you know, it's like, because I've cheated anybody, I'll pay back, you know, a multiple four times of whatever I've I've ripped off people for. That's when he came to Christ. So you know he was ripping people off. He's making a lot of money off of it. So I thought of scammers as well as kind of gangster types, uh, maybe corporate bigwigs. I don't know, um, you know, who are who are making money regardless of um, like the opioid crisis, right? You've got these mm, pharmaceuticals. Yeah. That they don't they don't really didn't seem to care about what happens to the people who take their product they just wanted to pump more product out there you know yeah maybe maybe some of these people that we've seen you know get arrested over the years for like made up pyramid schemes yeah, uh, totally. things like that um, yeah these are probably you know immoral 
immoral type people. I, we've seen movies about, you know, Wall Street and kind of the, the bad side of that. I'm not saying that all, all people who are in money and trade and finance are evil at all, but certainly there is a propensity for that to happen because uh, I guess there's, there's a sin in the Bible called greed, and, and usually this love for money, the Bible says, is, is the root of all kinds of evil. Right. right? Yep. And so, so in a tax collector's heart, this love for money has, has led them to do all kinds of immoral things, even to sell out their own people. And, and that really begs the question, why in the world would Jesus walk up to this guy? You know, that, that's, that's really where the challenge comes in this this little mini-series we're doing in, in chapter 2 called Challenging Religion, I think the religious people of the day uh, would have been watching this. He's doing this in public, out in the open, as he's preaching, it says. people Crowds were there. Crowds were coming to him. And it's almost like he's making an, an example, and he's going, going right at the religious people of the day. He says, follow me and be my disciple. And here's the beautiful thing about that. The beautiful thing about this is, is that even though he's this bad guy that we've painted him to be, and he, mm -hmm. he really probably is in his heart, the next sentence of, of 14 says, so Levi got up and followed him. Right. We, we saw something, uh, I think, recently where, yeah, where Jesus called the other Four disciples we saw yeah. is uh, Simon, Andrew, James, and John. And when he walked up to them, now they weren't they were lower class, lower middle class guys uh, who made their living off of fishing and and guys that you wouldn't have thought that Jesus would use to start the core four, the core team, right? Um, because maybe they didn't have all the the business aptitude or the uh, all the different education, right? We looked at that in chapter one. Exactly. Now we're in chapter two, and Jesus calls this other guy, Matthew, who's called Levi here, to be a disciple as well. Now he's he's a little bit different than the fisherman. He's hated, not just really looked looked down on or forgotten about, but he's right. hated. Right. And yet Levi gets up and says. Okay, I'm gonna. I'll leave my tax booth and follow. follow. They left their nets. Right. I'll leave my tax booth and follow him. And I think your point is really interesting, Eric. That this is public. It's the crowds are around. It's right in the every very very visible. And so it's immediately going to raise the very question that that we started off with. You know, who is good and who is bad. And so why would Jesus pick a bad person? Number one, and number two, why wouldn't he pick? The flip side of that is why wouldn't he pick? one of the religious leaders to be his. Why wouldn't he pick the guy from who just graduated from rabbi school? Why wouldn't he pick, you know, he didn't pick somebody from the synagogue. He picked somebody from out in the marketplace. And so, you know, what is it about um, Levi or Matthew that would qualify him as a potential leader compared to the religious elites of Jesus' day? That's a relevant question for us 
as you know, in where the life of the church and ministry, and even in uh, we're looking at people that we might mentor or or have influence in their life. You know, why did Jesus pick this guy instead of those guys? Yeah, and I definitely think that we're going to get to that in this lesson, and I think that's the same question that the religious people of the day are going to ask. Let's get into the the next part of the text in verses 15 and 16. It says, Later Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There were many more people of this kind among Jesus' followers. There's a hint. But when the teachers of religious law who were Pharisees saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? You're exactly right. The, so so the, Jesus is being watched mm-hmm. because he's caused such a stir and he's become famous. He's He's been doing miracles things that only God could do, only the Messiah could do, the the Pharisees, these religious guys, would have been looking for the Messiah. I'm sure that they were were always probably looking out to see when this was actually going to happen, because if we think about the Pharisees, they they were the ones who studied the Bible, and it actually says it was the teachers of the religious law who were Pharisees, so this is even a special kind of Pharisee. Other translations would call him a scribe. So, so these were the guys who really knew how to look into Scripture. They must have been looking for this one who was going to come and set them free from their oppressors, the same people that Levi or Matthew was working for. Yeah, that's an and, interesting and so point. It makes them so angry to see this one who is has been called the Messiah, who's saying he's the son of God, but yet he's, instead of taking taken care of and getting rid of the enemy, it seems like he's actually sitting down and eating with them. And that's why they say, why does he eat with, with such scum? So, mm-hmm. so Ross, you told us about who the, uh, the, what tax collectors are in the Bible. Well, give us some information about these Pharisees. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. We want to really understand who these people are, um, because when we see them in the New Testament, they're usually the bad guys, uh, because because the ones that we're seeing are the, are antagonistic toward Jesus. But that's not necessarily typical of all Pharisees. Um, the Pharisees. So after um, Israel went into captivity. Uh, several hundred years before, they came back. God brought them back in the times of Ezra and Nehemiah and reestablished uh, presence but they, in Jerusalem again. But they were never an independent kingdom from that point on. Uh, they were ruled over first by the kingdom, the kingdom of Alexander the Great and later his successors, um, and then eventually the Romans. And in that, in that time frame, in the couple hundred years before Jesus came, there, was, there were certain reform movements in Judaism the Pharisees were one of them. Um, the name Pharisee comes from comes from a, a Hebrew word that that means the pure ones, and so they were really interested in trying to reform Judaism, trying to bring purity into Judaism. They really their, their agenda was uh, we want to 
follow God's law fully. We want to train people to fully follow God's law. Um, you know, actually, it was the Pharisees who came up with the idea of synagogues, and so that as a way to train people and to create, you know, community and so forth. They're, so they're pretty prominent. Um, they were probably the most prominent sect within Judaism at the time, and they were the kind of the conservatives. They were kind of trying to uh, be faithful to God and not just um, incorporate, you know, any kind of ideas from Hellenistic culture. Or they're they're really trying to be faithful to God. But you know how they, so Jesus is um, usually his encounters with them have to do with how they were maybe going about that the wrong way, whether mm. it was an internal attitude that had crept in, as we see here, an attitude toward other people. Or whether it was that they that they had a tendency to add things to what God had already said, they were so zealous for preserving the 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 law of God that they that they kept adding um, more and more detailed prescriptions to keep anybody from possibly even uh, violating the law of God. They 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 looked at it as like building a fence around the law, and so you know these guys they're. I think a lot of them, their motive was really to honor God. But they, I think, went about it maybe in some ways that missed the mark. You know, that that makes me think a little bit because, you, you know, these guys are basically, you know, what would be a modern-day pastor or priest or minister in such a way right yeah, many these of guys them would have been looked at like that right like now the, the not all the pharisees the... not all the pharisees were leadership roles some of them were just uh, ordinary jewish people who adopted that approach but then you take the ones that are mentioned here the ones who are teachers of religious law or scribes as you mentioned that those would be the ones who have an elevated position of of spiritual authority in people's lives so all the pharisees not all of them were teachers of the law or 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 mm-hmm. spiritual leaders, many of them are just the the rank and file people who adopted this approach. So it seems to me that there's this this Phariseeism has not died off, you know, two thousand years ago, and it's still not, and it's it's not even something that's just left to Judaism anymore. I right. think there's kind of this this way about people in our nature, especially religious people, people of faith, people that go to church, people who want to honor God and, and seek God and pursue God. There's, a, there's something in, in all of us, really, that we do want to find out what his word says and, and, and try to be obedient to it. Right. And, I mean, I think we're taught this our entire life in, in our culture, in our society, is if we work hard, we earn people's love and respect, and we earn rewards for working hard. We, 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 we earn you know, good grades for working hard on our homework and, and preparing for tests, and we earn raises and promotions when, in our careers, right? And so, so working hard and, and staying staying um, motivated and, and disciplined is not, not a bad thing. And I think sometimes, you know, the Pharisees get a bad rap for that. But yet when we take those same principles and try to apply them to our relationship with God, I think that this is where 
like you said, they build a fence around the law. They added all kinds of other laws, thousands of little things to try to make it so that they never disobey God or they never sin against God. But in doing so, they actually are sinning against God by adding things and and really misrepresenting the nature and character of God. And I think that's what that's what Jesus yeah. is is coming to do. This is like his, his his object lesson to the the religious leaders of the day, to the religious organizations of the day. And and I think about how this applies to us again um, when it comes to religious leaders. Mm-hmm. Is there's a lot of people, and even even just religious people, like you said, there's the Pharisees, the sect of Pharisees of people who want to follow that way of life to feel like they're doing the most they can for God. Um, but then there's also the teachers of, of these uh, religions that get caught up in adding all kinds of things that God didn't say and that God didn't want and kind of getting the heart of the message wrong. All in the New Testament, we right. see it over and over again. Jesus is trying to get at the heart. These guys think it's outward action, um, outward religious duties, their appearance on the outside that's going to make them right with God. But Jesus has come to kind of turn that on its head, right? And, yeah. And really show that it's, it's, it's what's in the heart that matters the most. Right. And, and here's the byproduct of that that we see here in Mark chapter 2, in fi- verses 15 and 16. The byproduct of that, of that approach can be that it affects how I look at myself compared to other people. And so um, here you have the, the Pharisees and te- the teachers of the law who are Pharisees are going like, well, why is Jesus hanging out with those people? It's like us and them, with those people, because those people are the bad people. The Pharisees, like back to our original you know, perspective, we're saying who's good, who's bad. And in that society, mm-hmm. for sure, uh, people would have said, oh, the Pharisees are good. They're good people. We might not like them, you know. We might not like everything they do, whatever. But you have, they'd have to say, "Oh, they're the good people." And likewise, even in society today, there are people who are acknowledged as being the good ones, but they're not always popular, right? Um, but the religious people today, and, and so what happens? It's a human nature. I think it's human nature that whenever we start measuring ourselves by those external standards you mentioned then we also start measuring other people by those standards too. There's something about human nature that we feel like we have to compare ourselves or that we have to somehow, we're all going to try to find somebody that um, I can be better than, you know, to boost my ego or whatever. Um, and so what really the issue that, that, that this is addressing right here is, is when, you know, uh, they saw Jesus eating with these tax collectors and other disreputable sinners, they labeled those people as, you know, scum, and maybe on one, maybe from an outward perspective, you know that that's that was accurate, but there's much more going on here than just the outward perspective, right? Yeah, and getting back to how we transitioned into this this point, you know, them questioning why would why would they go? Why would he with tax collectors and sinners? Why would Jesus come to them and hang out with them? Because the Pharisees and the religious people of the day would have thought, 
well, this Messiah, if he's truly the Messiah, if he's, if he's of God, then they, he would probably want to come hang out with us because yeah. we've earned it, right? I think yeah. if, we, if, if we make a list, maybe think about what are the different things that religious people think makes them better than other people and makes them um, more, should be more of an object of God's love than the bad people. I would, I would probably start off and say, you know, like these guys, they would probably be like, like, you know, some of the different false religions or, or religions that have taken it out of hand in, in our culture. People think that God should love me more and bless me more and give me more if, because I go to church on a regular right. basis. That'd be because, number one probably in most people's minds. Yeah. And then maybe the next one is because I tithe, because I give. And I give, a tithe means 10%, and I do that all the time. I make sure to never mess up on that, right? There are some religions that make that, you know, like a prerequisite to get to, you know, the, the best places in heaven. Right, Right. yeah. Um, or I you know, what are some other ones I, on this Well, I list? fulfill all my required religious duties. You know, and, and different religious systems have different ideas of what those duties are. Um, whether, whether it be in Islam, you're... You're you're going to pray five times a day, mm -hmm. um, or you're going to fast one month out of the year, or or in different religious systems, those required religious duties might look a little bit different. Um, but there's going to be this sense of oh, there is a list, and the more I fulfill the list, then the more you know I stack up with God. Yeah, and 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 coming to God with a list of things that I've done, um, at the end of the day, is a scary thing, a sobering thing, if we think about how God really measures people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not by our standard, but His. You know, there, the Bible talks about in, in Revelation that there will be books. There are books that are open, and, and the works of people will be revealed. Not one of these works will be left out. Um, deeds, evil deeds, sins, things that we've done. And, you know, I think I can, I can say with much confidence, as, as, as much as people want to say, well, I think I, if I just do more good than I do bad, then I think I'll make it to heaven. You know, a lot of people, even yeah. non-religious people actually yeah. believe this, right? Yeah, for sure. But the reality is, is if I was to really measure that and go based off of the standard of perfection, of, of God's glorious standard, of the Ten Commandments, uh, that, which is the heart of, of, of the moral law, I think every single person in the world would realize that they have actually done a lot more things to break God's law than actual good things. And, and really the Bible tells us that, you know, out of, out of our, our deceitful heart, you know, Jeremiah 17 mm -hmm. says our hearts deceitfully wicked. <laughs> um, just about everything that we do, whether it's good or not, is, is tainted with this sin nature that human beings have. And so the problem, as we look at these two different people, I think is, is one of them can't see their need for Jesus. One of them can't um, understand why Jesus would go to 
the sinner and not to the 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 righteous ones because I think right. we're getting to this this last part of this lesson that Jesus measures people by a different standard and it's those who actually know their need for Jesus um, are the ones who he's going to come to. Otherwise, these other ones, the, the, the Pharisees, they're not going to accept his message because they have their own self-righteousness. They, they right. think they've done right. more good than they've done bad. They think right. that they've earned their way. And so, in a sense, they're saying, I don't really need the Messiah for spiritual salvation, they're probably thinking more of a, a physical reward from the Messiah to like make their life better for right. all the things that they had done. Right. 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 And it be, so because it comes down to reward, it comes down to what, what I feel like I deserve um, from God. Right. So that, and so I look at my life, I see here's all these things I've done. I look at that other person's life. Here's all the negative things, bad things. And it's really easy for me to, if I'm not thinking about it from God's perspective, then yeah, it's super easy for me to say, well, I certainly deserve God's attention more than that, those people over there. Why is Jesus with them? Yeah. So that does lead into, kind of into our third, um, the third thing we want to talk about, because we've seen now, all right, here's the, the bad guy, Levi the tax collector, Here's the good guys, the Pharisees, or that people would have called them good for sure. Um, but somehow that cat, those categories really break down when Jesus starts to respond. He's responding to this criticism, right? Why are you eating with those people, not with us? And when Jesus responds to that, then that whole categorization kind of breaks down. Yeah, so let's get to that verse. It's verse 17. It says, When Jesus heard this, he told them, Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call those who, th who think... I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. And I think that really answers the question. Like, that's mm -hmm. where he turns it up on its head, is... He's, he's really um, making a, a dig at them a little bit. I haven't come to call those who think, you know, quote unquote, think that they right. are righteous. He's not saying those that are righteous. He's saying, or, or maybe in some other translations, it might be some kind of a, um, what's, what's, what's the word? Sarcasm. Exactly. A bit. Yeah, exactly. I, I have not come to call those who are righteous. As you know, if, like right? Says, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the NLT kind of helps explain it a little bit better. But I've come to call those who know that they are sinners. You think you're righteous, but this guy knows he needs me. You think your own self-righteousness will make you right with God, while this other guy knows that he's done more bad than he has good, mm -hmm. like the rest of humanity. And this is the guy that's going to be humble enough to ask for forgiveness and receive salvation by faith. Right. And so you see, there's a real contrast. We, we saw a minute ago how these religious, uh, highly religious people saw others. They saw them through the lens of their own sense of self-righteousness. But now we see how Jesus sees people. Now here's the irony. Jesus was perfectly righteous. 
he never he never sinned he never violated the law of god or the will of god in any way whatsoever and so even from that position then he looks at these other people and 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 we get a sense of how he views people but you know i i just think uh, one thing that i think is worth drawing out here is cuz we have in our culture we have the religious people who see others a certain way but you also have like the secular people the people who don't really even claim or try to follow God, and they're saying, look, everybody's okay. I'm okay, you're okay, no, you know, nobody's, nobody's a sinner. Don't call me a sinner because that's offensive. That's not how Jesus sees people. It's Jesus is not just like, okay, I look around at people and, oh, everybody's, everybody's wonderful, and I'm good with, these, with hanging out with the tax collectors and the disreputable people because they're just wonderful. No, he points out that people are needy and, and we're broken and we're spiritually sick. And, but you, so the, the Pharisees looked at broken, needy people and scorned them. Jesus looked at broken, needy people and loved them. So, so I think that's the first thing that I think it, it, Jesus is not just condoning the, the sin and the, and the lifestyle of these people, but he, he's also not scorning them and, and yeah, uh, judging them. Yeah, I would say... Yeah, we can go back to the the previous verses and say he says, you know, come and follow me. Yeah. Now he's that's that's very you know concise, but what does it mean? See, I think we need to dig into what does it mean to follow Jesus. Yeah, it means point. to as we've already heard, you know, in in lessons before in chapter one to repent and believe, to turn from my own way to turn from my way of thinking, to turn from, from my way of, of evil deeds, of sin, to, to agree with God that, that my life has not measured up to his standard, and then turn and change my mind and say, mm-hmm. I want to go his way, I want to follow him, but first I need him to forgive me, to cleanse me, to save me, and now I'm willing to, the Bible says, take up my cross and now follow him. That means that my old life, as we see him calling the first disciples, they were willing, they had something, whatever it was that, that, that they had, maybe it was the, the, the humility, God knew that these were the ones that were actually going to get up and follow. And it's so hard for a self-righteous person to see their need for for forgiveness and a savior. And, and that's really a, a huge part of this lesson. And maybe for an application for all of us is, is even though you say that you're a Christian or you've been going to a church for a while, um, number one, do you look at people uh, as if you're better than them or uh, God loves you more than, than he loves them because of your own deeds? And, but, but two, uh, do you, do you, really rely on your ability to be disciplined and mm-hmm. and you know try to live a moral life or at least based off of society standards and and really do you lean more towards that than actually daily needing the grace of God because you know it's 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 really the people who know that they need Jesus not once but every day forever <laughs> yeah. that truly are following him every day when i 
and I don't I hate to use myself as as an example because I'm not a hero by any means at all. I I would say that I represent the first group of people, the the disreputable sinners. That's what I was when 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 Jesus called me. And and now I'm now I'm a a pastor and it's very easy for me sometimes to like get impatient with people sometimes if they're not growing fast enough or whatever but I always have to remind myself in prayer in the morning I take that time to reflect and repent and look on my day how many mm -hmm. times did I fall short yeah. how many times did I not love the people in my life around me how many times was I tempted to to sin and 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 did that in my heart, even if I didn't do it in an action, an outward action, where I, I used to do all my sin and a lot of outward action. Now, as as a someone who's, you know, been a Christian for a while, I think a lot of my sin now happens in my own heart and my own mind, and I'm still battling that. And I mm -hmm. but but there those sins are just as grievous as if I was doing them with my hands, although our society doesn't see it that way. Yeah, that, that's so, a great point. Yeah. yeah, and I need Jesus every single day. Yeah. I need to be reminded that his death on the cross applies to my life every day moving forward, covering the sins that I haven't even done yet. So I cannot rely on my own self-righteousness because I don't have any of it. You know, the, uh, Romans chapter 3 says, there are no, no one is righteous, no, not one. Um, we don't have any of our own righteousness. Now, we can do righteous things, like we can live in righteousness, but ultimately it's the righteousness of Christ that makes me right with God, and it's the ability now through the Holy Spirit to even do those things uh, that can honor God in the first place. So I think the posture mm -hmm. of these two different people, yeah. you know, one is, one is maybe humility and one's one's pride, I think. Yeah, that's a you great know? way to capture yeah. it. I mean, real, really, sometimes I'll come to faith in Christ. You know, a Christian comes to faith in Christ initially acknowledging our spiritual brokenness and need and sin. And then God starts to do a work in our life and begins to transform and sanctify us. And, and we get around these other people of faith that sometimes they're kind of religious. And we get around those people. It can be really easy to forget where I was. And, and as I see God begin to change my character and change my habits and so forth, it's not that hard for me to start thinking that somehow, you know, I am, uh, I can start to become confident in my own righteousness and start to forget that, you know, um, I'm, a, I'm a sinner and I'm always deeply in need of what Jesus can do to me. So, you know, these two kinds of people, you know, the world says there's good people and bad people. But, but Jesus says, no, there's really two kinds of people. There's people who think they're good and people who know they're mm -hmm. bad, right? Who think they're righteous, people who know they're sinners. I, I came to faith with an acknowledgement that I'm a sinner. But I don't, want to, I don't want over time following Jesus to suddenly morph into the person who thinks they're righteous. I always need, always need him every day. That's good. So, so as we kind of wrap this up here, I just kind of want to say, you know, one thing to the person who's, you know, not quite there yet, hasn't had their moment of faith, um, you know, not, not, wouldn't consider themselves a Christian, but maybe, maybe almost there. 
for you, the question is, which one of these people are you? Yeah. Are, are you the one that admits they're a sinner or one that thinks that they're going to make it to God on, on your own merit and your own righteousness? And we know that the good news, the gospel that Jesus came to bring was that even though we were still, we are sinners, he came to die in our place so that we could be forgiven. It's a free gift of grace. We trust that Jesus died on the cross so, so that we could have this new life. Um, now, for the people that, that are believers here but struggle with going back and forth with being maybe even a, a, you know, a sinner or a Pharisee, I think Levi's example is great. He got up, left the tax booth, and followed Jesus. Have you left behind your old life if you struggle with sin as a Christian? Well, I think that's something that all of us need to do on a daily basis. Following Jesus isn't just a decision that happens once a long time ago, but it's every day. And then we're also called, though, not to to become Pharisees either and start thinking that we're earning our way he helped us get there and now now we're we're doing everything in our own merit and our own works and so can a pharisee be saved i've been thinking about this and i i think of paul paul in the, the yeah, new that's testament a great example he was, he was a pharisee and jesus had to humble him yep. to get to the point where he realized okay i i've been wrong my way of belief my religious system was was wrong. I was missing this huge piece of the gospel of grace through Jesus Christ. Paul's life was transformed. He was he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, but his life was transformed and he says he says all of those things that I did are counted as nothing. They mean nothing to me. But Christ is what he ultimately values now. So, so for us, um, which type of people are we? And do we value Jesus above our own works and our own self-righteousness? Well, that's it. Tune in for our next one as we get into uh, the third section of Mark. And until then, God bless. Hey, listeners, this is Brian Dwyer reminding you to rate this show on your favorite podcast app. That really does help us when you do that. That way more people can discover this podcast and start listening. And also don't forget to share the podcast with a friend.